Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Jacques Lepron. Jacques, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me. It's just a, it's a pleasure. It, uh, it brings back, hearing the French accent kind of brings back so many good memories of, of times we spent in, in France when, and when I butchered your language for three years. But, uh, you know, please forgive me. Don't hold that against me tonight. But uh, thanks again. And just tell our listeners a little bit about Jacques. Well, so, yeah, so I'm obviously living in, you know, beautiful Sydney in Australia. We have, a, it's a great weather today. Um, and I've been living in, in Sydney for something like 14 years now. Mm. Uh, obviously born uh, in France, in south of France. Um, I'm an engineer, mechanical engineer by trade. Uh, moved to Australia, as I say, 14 years ago to, to finish my studies uh, in Sydney. And then I got, I, I found a job pretty much straight away after my, uh, my degree, my master degree, and then decided to stay pretty much. And, you know, this is a typical Australian way where you get sponsored, you get a visa, and, and you know, five years pass, and then you become permanent resident. And then 10 years later, you become a citizen, and you've, you've got your life in Australia. So, um, so that, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, I've been always living in Sydney, uh, in, in, in Australia, which is for me one of the best cities of the world. Um, you've got the lifestyle, the beach, you know, the water. I do a lot of kite surfing and swimming, ocean swimming. Uh, but as well, you have the you know the city where you have the you know social environment, the connection, the jobs. Uh, so Austria has been as well you know economy-wise has been on on a, on a great um, you know success story for yeah, the last for sure. I think, 25 years. Mm. It's coming to an end now. Uh, but uh, yeah, as an engineer, it's been always easy to find a job and, and go from there. So very very lucky to 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 be here today, definitely. And I actually have, it's, it's interesting because this is like the LePron family week because I'm actually interviewing his wife in two days. So on about her startup, but uh, tell us a little bit about the family. Yeah. So met Carl. So yeah, as you said, um, Carl and my wife uh, and I are running separately, but um, our startups. Um, and um, so we have as well a two year old daughter, two and a half year old daughter. So it's a bit of a challenge to to start a startup, to run a startup, an early stage startup, you know, limited revenue and you don't really pay yourself. Uh, and as well, having to support your kids, uh, just in terms of, you know, how you organize your day between taking care of her, dropping her at daycare, picking up, taking care of her at night, um, as well as the financial cost to be, to be able to support, you know, uh, daycare in Australia. Yeah. It's not as, like in France anyway, where it's pretty, pretty cheaper. So that was the financial cost. So it involves, you know, making some sacrifice about uh, time you've got to spend on your startup, time you spent with a family, uh, time you've got to work as well to make some money on the side, because especially when you're early, you've got to do that as well. So it's been an interesting a year, year and a half. Um, I used to work before in, in some of the uh, for oil and gas company, and then Caroline came to me one day. She was already working on, an, on another startup called Cookie2 and say, we think we really, we want to go to the US um, and we want to go to San Francisco. And I'm like, okay, what, what do I do? And I had this good job. And, and then so I decided to pretty much to quit my job 
which were paying, you know, the big job paying the money and paying the bill, where Karen was working on his startup. And we, after two months, we left. And we got to spend um, four months in San Francisco mm. uh, for her to develop uh, Cookie 2 at the time, um, uh, launch in US, which ended up not working, so we, we came back. But um, yeah, that was another thing of, you know, living your dream life uh, to move somewhere, start a new project. And that's how at the end of this uh, trip, when we came back to Australia, I decided not to go back to corporate and really uh, start my own thing. I had a few ideas. Um, and that's kind of how then I ended up moving on to uh, Dravity. So, I mean, obviously the, the common thread here is that you, when you get an idea, you move to two of the most expensive cities on the planet and you, <laughs> you try to start a startup and you've got a child now. So you actually almost have three children. So you have two startup children and one two and a half year old that, that is living in your house with you. So walk us through the, so, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's one thing to start a startup when the uh, they say this another spouse has you know a a pretty you know a job that that brings in some cash mm -hmm. but if you are a house that is starting two startups at a time that that almost sounds like insanity to me you know, that's, that's just it, it, it's so way, difficult it, it is in a way because uh you time poor uh you money poor so you you really but you learn about how you really become efficient, especially when you have a daughter. So you know she's doing a nap every day. Especially we can we work weekend as well, and on weekend we try to take turns, but as well spend some time together, the three of us. But the example on Saturday and Sunday, she would uh, sleep. She has a nap from you know two to four, or mm -hmm. one to three, and we know we have two hours <laughs> where we can work on something. And so you, you kind of think, I've got two hours, I've got to do this, and I'm going to make it. And that's kind of how you become so much efficient about, about your time. The, the, the positive side of both of us running a startup is what I found and when I've been listening to other people where you know, one of the partners is doing a start, his or her startup and the other partner is working and supporting the, the household pretty much, they mm. tend sometimes not to understand how difficult it is and you know, it takes time. One of the big learning, my major learning for me is like, you always underestimate how long it takes. Uh, and sometimes, is, is it, are you naive or are you just trying to be optimistic? And don't, don't just look at all the obstacles because if you're looking at all the obstacles, you, you kind of like, well, I just give up because it's too hard. Exactly. But by having both of us working on it, we can, we say in a way we can help each other, but mo mostly I would say support each other yeah. uh, mentally. Your mental health is important as well. And it's not very, it's, sometimes it's hard. And you don't put some expectation on the other thing where you've been working on your product for one year. I, I don't see any outcome yet. You're still, you know, very small. Blah, blah, blah. And, and that's kind of, I see that happening for an others for where we are pretty much at the same stage between our, our both our two startups. Mm, and, that's and a great is, point. Uh, I think, so we're growing together because, yeah. you know, uh, to be honest, working in a, in a corporate environment and you know have a nine to five job you have a security you have a salary uh, coming at the end of the month and then running something by yourself and it's all about you it's a lot of on you it's two different things and you're learning so much and you're growing so much out of this you don't realize right. but right. when yeah. you look back and say i've done that yeah. uh, don't be too hard on you and look at you know what you've done and achieve even if it's, it's not airbnb but you know it's already something that you you've done and you have to be proud of it as well so 
So have, have either of you raised capital at this point in time or is it, or have you like bootstrapped both of these startups? So we, uh, so Caroline just um, raised a pre-seed uh, last month. Mm-hmm. She closed it last month. So just right during the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah. So it was interesting. She, I decided to pull out and to wait. Uh, but I, I, the difference is I went through a, a pre-accelerator uh, from uh, last year and uh, until the end of 2019, and I've got 10K mm-hmm. out of this, which was good because it was a kind of a validation of the business model, yeah. uh, of the business idea so far and, and the way we want to go to market. Um, and, and obviously, 10K is always nice. Um, right. But uh, so far, we've been uh, bootstrapping as much as we can. Uh, and mostly as well because I've been working one to two days on the side as a consultant, so I can you know charge higher fees than if right and that will help just, me, just uh, like you know, normal need. salary yeah yeah so yeah. so walk us through the the idea I mean when you came back from San Francisco were you thinking I mean on the plane back to Sydney were you going okay what am I going to do when we land because I mean at that time you knew that the that the you know the startup in San Francisco was not going to fly right so. You thought we've got to do something on this side. What were some of the ideas that that you thought so, about then and then what did you eventually land on? So some of the ideas were actually before San Francisco. So when I was working for this oil and gas company, I took care of developing, uh, developing a new business uh, in telematics. So what you would call you know, feed management in a B2B space where you help customers manage a feed of trucks or buses, mm-hmm. reduce cost. Uh, of maintenance, accident safety by tracking, tracking the behavior of the driver, and and that, that was a business that this company wanted to get into because you know they're selling fuel, it's a commodity, and right. when you you know compete on big contracts, how do you offer additional value to your customer? Uh, and so I've what I realized during that time was if you provide some you know relevant and good information back to the driver, they improve their driving behavior a lot. And as, as a result, they improve um, safety records and there was less accident. So I've been always interesting about what can we do with this technology, with this concept in, in a B2C space in the consumers. And in a consumer space like you and me, who will be the target audience who will be very helped by this? And I, and I look at young drivers, young drivers who just got the driver license drive they you know they're probably overconfident mm-hmm. they've got no one to really give them feedback you know they right. had some feedback when they learned to drive but once they just by themselves on the road no one tells them how bad they are until they have an accident and probably realize that they have to change their behavior so that's kind of where it started and and when i was in san francisco i spent a lot of time kind of you know hustling around some of the mobility companies uh, to understand you know the state maybe i was looking for a job at the same time and i got to realize that uh, where well, we're not yet ready for av they still mm-hmm. a long time, despite you know the buzzwords. The second thing is when I was looking at you know any company doing the same type of telematics concept, you know improving uh, driver safety. They were all focused on um, uh, companies B two B. No one was really offering exactly. something in the B two C space. And the main reason is because uh, for a company there was a huge cost associated with you know uh, driving behavior, accident, and risk. So mm-hmm. you could monetize easier easily. And so this kind of, when I came back to Australia, I was like, well, there's something to do in that space. Uh, and I know it's going to be around the young drivers. It kind of really pushed me and confirmed me around, around that space. But then when I, I keep thinking about that, the idea was like, well, before I can help a, a driver, a young driver, 
stay a good driver, I need to make sure he's a good driver first. So it's all about how I'm gonna, I need to teach him the right skills for him to become a good driver. And then I use technology on top of this to maintain or improve that behavior. So that's where I end up going to thinking about where well, it all starts with education. And then education is about the driving schools industry, really, which right. is where today, um, you know, you, you, still listen, you still learn to drive the way you learned to drive 30 years ago. You jump into a car, you've got some tests, and then at the end of, the, of that, you then get the driving test. And obviously, you've been trained to, to succeed at the test. You yeah. haven't been trained to become a good driver. Um, and, and that's how, how things are done. Hmm. That's, a, so that's, I mean, it's an that's interesting, how I want to, yeah. Just, I don't want to just jump in real quick. It's, it's interesting that, that, you know, you looked at an industry that's been there for a long time. And I'm assuming that the, the way that driver's licenses and driving driver's testing is done would be similar to what was done in France or what was done in the UK or you, you know, you have to take driving lessons, you have to pass a test and then, you know, you get your driver's license at 18 or 17 or whatever the, yes. the age is. But so you looked at this space that's been there for a long time and you thought, okay, it's, it's not like you're starting something new. It's like you're improving on an existing technology, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, uh, you know, uh, I guess exponential innovation. It's what I would say more incremental innovation looking at an industry. A current, in, a current industry, how can we make things better? And as well, right. I, did, I was thinking with my, in top of on my mind, I, okay, I want to start here because ultimately I want to get into offering a solution for the young driver to stay safe on the road while driving. So, but I feel like I've got to start from where it starts. Yeah. And it yep. starts at learning to drive. So before going into you know the telematics with some insurance product or some financial mm -hmm. incentive could be an insurance or anything, I was like I need to make sure that those people uh, learn know how to drive because that's what it would help me qualify them for a potential financial incentive program beyond that. Absolutely, uh, and it's kind of a, a yeah. big funnel pretty much. You know, you, you want to address right. most of the drivers, you qualify the best. You know, you you know that they learn to drive with your own with your instructors, which have been qualified. You access some data about how they learn to drive, and then you can qualify them for, for those financial incentive programs, which are the insurance. So, so how do you know who the best driver is? So walk us through kind of the business, the business idea of Driverly. Um, maybe give us the elevator pitch about what it does and who is an ideal client. Yeah, so I think one thing to add is, yeah, okay, I, I can start with that. Uh, but so really, today, Dravity, it's, it's only the, the first part of the idea I explained to you. Dravity, okay. it's, it's a marketplace where we connect um, new drivers, whether they are local young drivers or as well international drivers, because we have some challenge on that right. segment, uh, with um, experienced and recognized uh, driving instructors right. who know are giving them the right skills to become a sales driver. Uh, one of the challenges, not every instructor is equal in terms of how they yeah, teach sure. and how good they are teaching. And um, the driving schools industry is an industry where some people, and I don't want to disqualify the industry, but mm -hmm. a, a few of them tend to see that as a job to you know, make money on the side. You, have a, you need a car, you need a license, and then you can teach anyone. Now, not everyone is a good teacher, and you can right. obviously ask you know, any teacher in any industries You've got some skills. You've got to get some skills to be able to teach 
and share knowledge in a way that is constructive for the kids to to really take on board. Yeah. And so the idea was there is so many instructors available in Australia, not all of them are equal. Let's find a good one and let's make sure they connect them with people who need one. So it's it's a marketplace. Uh, um, while this was my main focus at the moment before I really tackled the other problem, but initially it was like, I need to make sure that my kids get the best education possible. So how do we do that? And that brings, and, and that's kind of rev, early stage revenue too, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and interestingly is I started to have uh, an initial focus on young drivers. So, you know, the local kid wants to learn to drive, but, uh, Quickly, um, from my feedback from the market was there is another market that needs help. It's uh, international drivers. So you'd be surprised that in Australia, we obviously know we have a, a high migration. Uh, so a lot of people coming from different countries. There were different rules in each state about how you can convert the license. Yeah. It's a very complex industry as well, How what I do. And then... If you come from the U.S. or from France, you just have to, you know, show you, you drive a license from France or U.S. and then you get a new license. That's it. No question asked. If you come from a country like, you know, India or China or Asia in general or South America, you've got to redo the test. And, and those people, a lot of those people have some issues. They don't speak English. Mm-hmm. They don't speak English well enough to be able to get some driving lessons in a car with someone who's going to give them direction to learn to drive, you know, on the left right. side of the road with understand the road rules in Australia, which is sometimes quite different. And so I, when I put together driving, I launched driving, I had a few instructors speaking uh, languages other than English. And, and, and then I got people asking me, hi, I'm from Spain. I'm from, you know, Argentina or from Brazil or, or from Colombia. Can you help me find an instructor speaking Spanish or, or Portuguese? Because right now right. Uh, I need take a few hours of lesson to prepare for the test. Uh, and I, I can't, I don't really speak English very well. And so I'll be more comfortable to be in a, in a, in a, a comfortable environment in a car to be with someone share, speaking the same language. And so this, this became my main, uh, my main, I guess, uh, audience uh, that's yeah. really using Java at the moment. Cause I've got now kind of a, a strong network of uh, instructors, um, speaking other than English languages across right. I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, as, you're, as you're kind of laying out the framework of, you know, kind of what phase two looks like or phase three looks like or whatever, I'm, I'm thinking so many different applications, but one that really comes to mind would be insurance. You know, mm. how, do you, how do you kind of kind of integrate this with helping people save money on their car insurance or, you know, is this part of a, a large insurance company? Would you license this to them, you know, so they could, you know, help people be better drivers or, or something like that? Have you, have you thought about that at, in down the road? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's probably one of my main, uh, well, I guess it was probably one of the main application I could see out of, out of, the, out of the driver marketplace um, is about insurance and helping people access insurance. Uh, helping people access cheaper insurance mm-hmm. um, based on, on the driving behavior. So the idea there is that is not that is already enough existing technology around the world that already do do that kind of you know tracking behavior from your yeah. phone or from right. uh, you know uh, added so added hardware in your car through the uh, OBS um, you know port um, where you can track the behavior and then you can link that with an insurance program. 
Um, and I start to talk to some uh, insurance provider in, in Sydney about you know potential application. Uh, that that could be on, that which is on the roadmap pretty much, but not right. now. I mean, yeah. one thing that that uh, yours does that that maybe the tracking devices don't is they really don't know who's driving the car though. I mean, it it could be anybody driving the car with the with the phone or with the tracking chip in the car or whatever. So, but with yours, you're actually training the individual to yes. be a better driver, to be more safe. I I mean, I could see even a a government application that if I was the Australian government, I would love for somebody to you know to invest in teaching kids on kids how to drive better as young young kids you know i agree i agree yeah yeah and so i, I guess some of the technology now uh, in i was looking in insurance space around around the tracking system some of them now can can see whether it's it's dad or or, or the kids driving the car because you can you know you learn from the pattern of how they drive okay. and you can identify that to, to a way yeah. Uh, so you would know, and that's really interesting if you use a phone because uh, let's say you pay your insurance as you go and you're using your phone to declare, you know, I'm starting to drive now and it's on and it's tracking, but actually it's probably your father, you know, driving. Um, he, he would recognize that he's as a father driving. Now the thing is you, because you pay your insurance as you go, you're not going to track someone else anyway. So other than right. so. Right. Uh, the risk is, you know, kind of the question I receive all the time is like, what happens if someone drives and uh, doesn't uh, switch on his system? Which um, I don't have. A, I don't have the final answer, but for me, it would be kind of similar to driving with no insurance. So meaning, you know, if you have an, no comprehensive insurance, so yeah, um, meaning you know, you, you would have an accident and you would not be covered for that. Or, I mean, is there any way that once the car starts, it automatically, it, you know, the application automatically starts or something like that, that it's not, it's something you, maybe you can't turn off. Maybe it's tied yeah. directly to the vehicle or something like that. But so I'm curious, as you're, as you've been thinking about this and you're kind of looking toward the future, what are some other applications that you, that you think that this, you know, without giving away all your trade secrets, but what are some other ideas that you think are kind of part of the, of this family of services? Uh, well, one other thing as well, it's, so really, if you think about Dravity, it's, it's building a data platform. And the data you collect is about driving behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the idea is how can I make, you know, making this data portable. So as a driver, you can port your own data from insurance to insurance or across other, other industries, other verticals. And that data is strong enough to, it's powerful enough to predict, you know, how good you are as a person, how good you are, uh, you know, you're going to be paying your mortgage, how risky you are as a person. And then you could, so you could think about, you know, you could go from there and go to uh, maybe using this data to qualify someone for a mortgage based Mm. or just a car loan based on how risky it is on the road. So you may not want to offer a mortgage to someone is you know is going to crash his car he's going to crash a car he has a chance of crashing the car compared to um but what interesting anyway was starting with the young drivers because he was the most exposed uh, uh, segment Mm -hmm. of of drivers that is exposed with high risk but as well high cost so you know a a car insurance for a typical comprehensive car insurance in australia for a a driver like me so the cpo would be would cost me you know seven hundred to eight hundred dollars AUD uh, for the first for the young driver if he wants insurance for him by himself for the first year you wouldn't have to spend four k wow 
and that's how much you know because you're in that category of high risk and right. insurance right are not very you know i would say i, I would not say not very smart but they're you know taking some uh, um, you know data points that are how old are you what kind of car you are where are you living where the car is far to give you a pricing there is not you know dynamic data exactly uh, that can be used in terms of the pricing and uh, which now we can start to see you know you're looking at some of the u.s startups looking at you have a, a price per kilometer because we, we know there is a strong correlation between the more you drive mm -hmm. statistically the more chance you have to have an accident so if you drive less you should pay less yeah um so that's that's the other thing is how you can use the data to you know, uh, offer additional services or understand risk from from the from the from the driver to offer another these. I mean, I could I could see even if you're tracking the the activity of the vehicle, maybe even has has like shopping application. You know, what are your preferences? What do you, you know, travel preferences and all kinds of things that you know if if data is kind of the output at the end of this and and uh, you know the just the whole idea behind the the you know it's it's funny you mentioned insurance because i used to work in the insurance industry you know okay. a long time ago and and it is very much a class system like you know they they pick entire classes of people to to determine right. the rates you know without the kind of this it, it has very little individual bias you know in it and what you're talking about is getting more toward really tracking the individual and pricing it to the individual versus just you know because of the demographics you're this age you're you know, you're this gender, you're this, you know, you drive this many miles a year and that's about it. You know, yeah. have you had an accident or not? Have you, have you had tickets or not? You know, that type of thing. So it's really interesting that just the applications were moving forward. And I, mean, I, I looked at your website and just, you know, kind of saw some of the services you provide and, and it's a sharp website, by the way, but just the, the whole idea of, you know, I want to kind of drill down a little bit, just the time we're in, you know, just this whole kind of global mm -hmm pandemic this this COVID-19 that that we're all facing right now so tell me first of all what how has that impacted your your business and then I want you to like just kind of speak to our listeners as a as an early stage founder and just give them you know if they're in in similar positions you know give them a couple of hints that that are really hopeful you know that, that you think okay here's two two foundational steps that I think really would help you as a founder to to kind of navigate this difficult time. So, first of all, you know how does how's it affect your business, and then maybe some ideas on how you can navigate that. So, I guess uh, so. Yeah, in terms of revenue, it's been a sharp decline um, in, in in because pe pretty much people are not taking any more lessons. Uh, in Victoria, they've closed, um, and I think in South as well, they closed any uh, any testing, so you can't you know, take take any tests. So I think a, a sharp decline in you know, traffic and just number of requests for, for driving lessons since pretty much uh, March. Uh, since it's pretty Australia, you know, spend a lot of time, um, you know, putting in place some, you know, social distancing. So we're not in a, in a full lockdown in, like some countries in Europe, like yeah. France or Italy, yeah. which is great because we, the economy is still in a way running partially, but still right. running. Uh, but a lot of instructors are not taking any, any, any lessons because they want to make sure, you know, they don't get infected in a car. I guess you could be trying to, you know, provide masks uh, or clean the car, but there is still, you know, limited, uh, limited um, uh, risk similar to Caroline on, on, on the photo shooting. But anyway, now I think around the situation, it, it's, you, you've got two choices for how you take the situation. It's 
um, oops, it's it's the end of the world. I'm you know I'm losing everything. Nothing is working, and then I don't know where to go. Or it's a massive opportunity uh, mm. to do something different, or you know take some time to do something you didn't have time before. So uh, what what I found for my for driver and for myself was I didn't have I spent a lot of time you know onboarding instructors, uh, looking at them because I had demand, and and I was kind of you know building my network of instructors as I go. Uh, and I never had the time to you know spend some time on on the back end of the, of, of the product of the of the website working more on my you know marketing automation and so now I've got the time to to read that so that's my first thing is looking at the glass you know half full and saying okay I can't do that anymore and yeah I've got to be aware that you know it may take three or four months uh, do I have the cash flow to to survive I guess the good thing is when you're early stage startup. Uh, you can't rely on a startup to give you to provide you a cash flow to give. Yeah, for unless sure. If you do, well, that's not the right decision. Uh, unless you know you 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 start to, you, probably a few would do, but that's a different situation. But mm -hmm. I guess ninety nine percent of the time, you can't rely on a startup to provide you cash flow. So that means you could almost put your startup aside if you want to do something else during the time, or you take the opportunity to breed and work on things that you haven't had time to do. Yeah, and so it's you know learning about well I'm going to put my head away from yeah I'm losing revenue I'm not making any revenue but I got all these things that I need to really keep pushing and maybe think about your competitors that probably you know uh, which are bigger than you there are people to pay so they're really struggling to do that well it's for you a great opportunity to spend the time on doing things that can you know make a difference and yeah, and that's, that's kind great. of the things really I uh, you you look at and I've been doing so for the last you know two months. Uh, as I have, I have a few interns uh, supporting me, uh, we 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 working on you know how we go to market, how we find our customers, what sort of things they need, how we do the change, how do we nurture our leads to the platform, etc. Uh, etc. Et things that sometimes you don't have the time to spend, especially when you're early stage startups and you just by yourself or a very limited team. Right. So I mean, you're you're in the household with another startup founder. Do you see that some of the times your applications like overlap some of the ideas overlap some of the marketing ideas some of the um you know back office kind of operational things you're going you know hey we're doing this over here you have you need to try this or or is it is it sometimes friendly competitive it, it is yeah yeah it was a bit friendly competitive not mostly around you know who will be the first one to raise <laughs> and who would have the first customer and how much you made last month and what traffic on the website. Exactly. But you always find, you know, it's good about, yeah, you B2C and B2B. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm heavily relying on AdWords or, you know, Google keywords because, you know, everyone looking for driving schools. Exactly, yeah. Caroline with Scouty on, on the photo shooting, it's kind of a new industry, mm -hmm. which is building. So there is not much, the demand is not really, it's like, you know, Airbnb, Ten years ago, no one was looking for rent uh, rent house in Sydney for two weeks when I'm holidays. You, know, you go to the hotel, so you don't really look for. So it's <laughs> a different approach. So we've been gent yeah, gently competitive on some of this. Uh, but as it's it's good just to be able to share ideas or challenges about what, what you think about that, uh, because you know that the other person in front of you uh, already has some experience, and understand sometimes some of the struggles. So. Not just yeah, just do this and I will be done. Yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. 
and at the end of the day, I mean, you, you have to live with her, so you want it to succeed. <laughs> so, That's right. Because you know, yeah. it, it's to your benefit for it to succeed as well. But uh, yeah, I, I love that. And I'm, it's interesting. You said, oh, you know, that was B2B. That you're doing B2C. You know, the people that are losing are always the one making excuses. <laughs> so mm, that's mm. Exactly right. So, it, well, Jacques, I just really appreciate you taking the time today. It's been great to kind of hear your backstory and just hear you know, kind of the progression of Driverly and, and next, see where it may be headed in the future. Is there anything that we just haven't touched on you want to wrap up with real quick and then we'll just, just tell people where to find you online? So, yeah, you can find me online for um, different way, driverly.com.au, which is a website. You can find me online on LinkedIn as well. Uh, you just have my name, Jacques Lepron, uh, online, and you would find me and can connect with me or just connect me at uh, Jacques at travelly.com.au, uh, which is my main email, and that's the best way to find me online. And yeah, I've got nothing else to add. It was a really great discussion. Really um, love it. I uh, appreciate as well your offer to have me on board, to have me on through this uh, podcast. And hopefully what I've shared uh, will be um, helpful for some other people. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's really funny. I mean, I connected with, with Jacques and Caroline, his wife, separately. I didn't even know they were related. Hmm. So we, we booked them on the podcast and I actually asked her last week. I said, I, I've got, I've got two guys the name, the same thing next week. Are you in a relation to that? And she started laughing. She said, she said, actually, he's my husband. So, I mean, it's just <laughs> an interesting, you know, a very small world, you know, that there's just 7 Indeed. billion people. I mean, it's amazing that we connected these two, but uh, it's going to, it's kind of like the LePron family week we've got going on the podcast this week. So we're, we're anxious there to hear go. from Caroline in a couple of days. But Jacques, just thank you for just taking the time and, and uh, let you go and enjoy the rest of the beautiful day there in Sydney. And but just thank you for playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Thanks a lot, Jacques. Thanks, Evin. Bye. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.